Just a little love note to all of our loyal free cookie listeners and to anyone who might be new to the show. This is an ad-free podcast. And we want to keep it that way. We want to make sure that we can just give you guys the awesome content, the great interviews. and Without the stuff that you have to fast forward. But in order to do that, we need your support. So if you could join us over at patreon.com forward slash free cookies and become a patron of the show, there are many tiers that you can join. You can throw us a dollar, you can do five, and it turns out we're going to start putting some content up for those of you who are hardcore free cookie supporters. We're going to make this worth your while. So if there's some of you out there who just listen to the show, and you feel like, hey, you know what? I could, I could spend two, three bucks a month. Great. If you guys need a little something as incentive, we're going to put some videos up on Patreon that are going to be exclusive to those of you who are free cookie monsters. And I mean, we're talking some good content. Like I'm going to take you inside my sneaker closet, like that kind of content, you know? And I will contribute recipes and perhaps every now and then our dog will give you a soliloquy. So again, that is patreon.com forward slash free cookies. Thank you. Thanks. I'm Catherine Budig. And I'm Kate Fagan. And this is Free Cookies, a humorous podcast filled with thoughtful conversations and offering delicious takeaways. And today. And bigger than today. The, today. The month of now. Meaning we haven't been here in a while. It has been months. It's been a hot minute. It, it, things have happened. So many things have happened. This is not a news podcast, so we won't take you through all of the things oh, that have God. happened in the last three months. But Please, no. rest assured, they happened. They and did. we're back. We're we back, back for season of Free Cookies. <laughs> right? right? I love I guess this we season. Gave up on seasons. If we had to pinpoint what season is this. I, I was going to say four. No. What? What like, would you say? What? Oh, producers nodding. Said, and anyway, by the way, what were you going to say other than three or five that was made for so outlandish? I was going to say six. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. We, we've taken some intermissions, which... It's true. It depends what was a halftime of a one season versus like the actual off season, you right. know? Yeah. And You're considering right. we just needed a little break and this air quotes season, <laughs> we're probably going to be dropping... Sometimes once a week, sometimes twice a month, because it turns out once a week is a hustle. It's a lot of pro- producer Lindsay in our house. And we love producer Lindsay because she Especially shows up when she brings us coffee cake, <laughs> which is up on her Patreon right now. So if you want some crumble in your life. All right. But today, today we are we have returned and we are continuing with bringing on amazing authors of novels, nonfiction this season, season four, and Free Cookies. just interesting people who don't write books. And sometimes the, we will have those people. So this thing happens during the off season of free cookies and even during the season of free cookies where if something funny or not funny happens, but I think that we need to talk about it, I'll write it in a little note app in my phone. And Catherine often forgets that I've written these things down, even though at the time I'm like, oh my God, write that down in the notes app. So she knows that I've recorded it, but then she forgets like a couple months later. So I've got a few of those that I need to share with you. But the first thing that happened during this particular off season was that about two or three weeks ago, we were eating dinner um, on the couch, which tends to happen during coronavirus pandemic. And Catherine turned to me and she suggested this. Um, We once went to a museum where there was a video, it was about World War II and it was about the Holocaust. And there was this anecdote about how the, I think it was two sisters were, were there together and that every day's rations, they split 50, 50, like, to the whatever cr- they could get their exactly hands on. 50 50 and it was like imperative to each one whoever took the took rations that they would never take more than their share and this is Catherine said and she meant it seriously that she thought that I would take more than my share well look y'all <laughs> we're sitting on the couch like two little sea otters with our bowls like <laughs> hiked up on our chest so that the the space between bowl and mouth is minimal and as don't small think as possible I don't notice the side eye that you're giving me because Kate tends to eat her dinner much faster than I eat my dinner so I still have you know portions rations whatever you want to call it and I see you every time my fork pauses and it hesitates, there's this long drawn out stare into the contents of my bowl. <laughs> and when the fork goes back into the bowl into my mouth, there is this 
like inexplicable disappointment that washes over your face. That you are eating, you are continuing to eat your food, that if you didn't continue to eat your food, it could become my food. Yeah, but you're also the human that after I make like the perfect proportioned plate, you beeline to the stove and you take the wooden spoon and you proceed to shovel (laughs) mouthfuls of whatever I haven't garnished or seasoned like into your mouth because you're worried that there's not going to be enough food in the bowl for when we turn into sea otters. Yeah. This, this, this particular question in (laughs) this particular question in that is actually plays into my mind a lot after, after going to this museum and seeing this video, it really embedded itself in my mind about, because the question that this video was asking was what kind of person would you be? And I'm being, I'm being serious. This is not funny. I, I genuinely think about this a lot. Like, would I be someone who would be capable of splitting everything 50, 50, or would I be someone who would be only out for my own survival? Hot sauce on it. Or would they be bland? Because I think if it was just like plain white rice, you'd be like, I care about my rice. But if it was perfectly seasoned with a little Miyoko's butter and a little local hot sauce, I don't think I would be getting 50% if I couldn't see what it looked like before it landed in my bowl. Okay, so the next one that I had written down, then this is this is really where it gets pretty funny. Uh-oh. Um, so last week, last week, we were we were joking about how you know sometimes there are, there are groups of friends who when you pass by them at a dinner table, it doesn't really sound like they're talking about anything, and that maybe they're talking about like lip gloss or something. And um, and we were joking about lip gloss and the topic of lip gloss <laughs> and how silly it would be to have a whole conversation about lip gloss. And I'm saying this, and then you paused and you said, and, and I said, I mean, how interesting is lip gloss even? And you said, I actually gave a presentation on lip gloss in high school. So can you, and I didn't follow up at the time because you said, you said something like 28 flavors of lip gloss was this, like they're not flavors. And you need to learn you, you should, it would be wise to maybe learn the difference between lip balm and lip gloss. And if you had been part of my presentation, Mm. you would understand the difference between lipstick, lip balm, lip gloss, chapstick, technically a brand. Wait, wait, wait. Don't act like I don't know the difference between all of those things. I think lip gloss gloss that we both really like, and you always ask for that lip balm. And it's not a lip balm. It's a lip gloss. Okay. But lip balm and chapstick, very similar. True, but okay. a lip balm can also come in like a little too. I think chapstick, in a little like jar. Chapstick is like a brand, and yes. then lip balm is like Burt's Bees. But we're but we're even getting okay. down to the basics because you do regularly confuse lip gloss and lip balm. Oh my god, are you so embarrassed for me when that happens? I'm just actually kind of excited <laughs> to say this on the air. Okay, um, so yeah, no, I was it was in high school, and I used to have quite the collection of balms and lipsticks and glosses. And I was over at my best friend's house, Ann Eggers, and and <laughs> I somehow decided to dump my bag out in their living room, and her dad was appalled at the amount of lipstick and lip balm and lip gloss that I had. And so I proceeded to put them into different groups and orders and explain why they all had their individual place in my bag. And to this day, it is one of the finest memories in the Eggers households. <laughs> I bet you were very persuasive and informative. I think so. I think I sold a lot of glasses that day. So it, 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 that's funny that you explained it like that because in my mind, you had poster board and it was a school presentation. <laughs> no. So at least it was only sort of an impromptu it was. family presentation. Was inspired. Okay, and this is this is really the best one. Um, okay, so we were out for a walk a couple of weeks ago and we're walking around our little neighborhood and a, a woman walks by and she has a baby and the baby is in a baby Bjorn and she's like got her little baby in the baby Bjorn and <laughs> you say to me, I want that. And I'm like, a baby? And you were like, no, to be in a Bjorn. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Like, I, I actually don't know how I got duped in that because like, I obviously kind of knew you didn't mean the baby, but just like your delivery was perfect. But I would want to be outward facing baby Bjorn. Like I don't need to be tucked into someone's chest. I just want to be outward facing baby Bjorn in the world. There's no doubt that the best way to be baby Bjorn is outward facing. 
I mean, the other the other way just looks boring. Well, no, I think the inside is all schnuggy. There's know? a time for the schnuggy inward facing baby Bjorning. If it's if cold I, out, yeah, yeah. If I was if it was nighttime and I was a baby, I would I would be like, put me inside, but face me inside. But during the day, especially if you were out in a new city or something, I'd want to be the outward facing baby Bjorn. That's right. But anyway, so I said, I said. You said, I want that. And I was like, a baby? And you were like, no, to be in a Bjorn. So let's just let that rest. Do you think that uh, Genevieve is super excited about this intro? I think this is the perfect intro for today's guest. And when I say perfect, I mean not at all. Uh, the, the guest that we have today, it is this month's pick for the Inky Phoenix, which is my Instagram book club. And it is called The Witch's Heart, which is a debut novel from Genevieve Gornacek. And it is about some of my favorite figures in Norse mythology. It is about Loki and his children, but the main character is Angraboda, which is this giantess. And, and um, baby Bjorn. And and there is sadly no baby Bjorn, but there is Bjorn and Vikings on the History Channel. So if you okay. want to watch a big guy who definitely doesn't sit in someone's pouch you can check out something related to this book and the opening of our show on the history channel i sort of sabotaged that do intro not sponsored this show <laughs> okay, let's introduce genevieve gornacek earned her degree in history from the ohio state university but she got as close to majoring in Vikings as she possibly could, and her study of Norse myths and Icelandic sagas became her writing inspiration. She lives in Cleveland, Ohio, and The Witch's Heart is her debut novel. All right, Genevieve, it is so awesome to have you here on Three Cookies. Um, I am so excited to have The Witch's Heart be the Inky Phoenix's February pick and my... Uh, a, a friend of ours recommended this book because I am a huge fan of Norse mythology and there's not enough books like yours in the world is my opinion on this. And so could you just give our readers, I know listeners. this is not fun, our readers, oh wow, my brain's all over well, our we listeners. Hope that our <laughs> listeners will become Bill, readers. We will become yeah, readers. Can you give our listeners like a little elevator pitch about the book. The dreaded elevator pitch Yeah, I know. That's question. such a crappy thing to throw at you. But just so they can kind of get just an idea of what the book's about. Okay. Um, the Witch's Heart is a novel that reimagines Norse mythology, um, but places a minor character at the center, um, the giantess Angraboda, who is only known from the myths as the mother of hell, Fenrir and Jormungand, uh, three very unique uh, creatures <laughs> By the trickster Loki, trickster god. Oh wow! I mean, you know the, the the funny thing is, is that two years ago, if you'd said that, it would have sounded like a foreign language to me. <laughs> but now that Catherine, has, you've you've taken a deep dive into to Viking Norse mythology, somewhat because of Vikings on History Channel, but also because of your love for it even before that. So that made perfect sense to me. All of that made per- perfect sense to me. Um, b- before we get into the 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 book, which we will certainly be talking about, can you give me your quick take? Vikings on History Channel, stream or skip? My, my quick take? Yeah, stream, on you know, oh. yeah, you know like stream or skip, uh-huh. jam or not jam, you know? Um, um, I, was, I was on board up until a point. Uh, I think they made some interesting decisions. Um, yeah, well, like, well, if you... I mean, I do Viking Age living history. So anytime you tell me what, you know, when Vikings first came out, um, it was, oh, this is like the most accurate Viking Age television show made to like so far mm-hmm. that's ever been made. And I was like, uh-huh. Yeah. Like, so I watched it. I was like, mm. like, I, I understand that when you're telling a story about like, you know, history, sometimes you have to make decisions um, that will make the story work narratively. Um, but I, I have opinions. <laughs> Is it? Do you have opinions like the fact that Ragnar and Rolo in the show are brothers when in actual history they are definitely not related whatsoever? Two very important characters in history. But right. like that kind of thing, did that irritate you? Did it irritate you that the character of Floki was definitely Loki, except for they never said that, <laughs> and it drove you crazy the entire freaking time? <laughs> yeah, like weirdly the thing with Ragnar and Rolo like didn't bother me. Um, 
but the costumes did. They're beautiful. Whoa. They're just not historically <gasps> accurate. And I, yeah. I'm sorry. I feel like I sound like such like an elitist jerk, but like, no, I was, we like, want oh, the dirt. I, just, the I dirt. just want one show. I just want one show with historically accurate costumes. Okay, I'm done. I'll stop. Okay. No, you no. tell us what accurate <laughs> costumes look no, like. Yeah. Or we talk about the braids. Well, oh, I have I, I, so many questions. Mm. <laughs> like, obviously, oh Catherine and I have actually had like 30 minute conversations on our dog walks where she oh. wants to know <laughs> if I think that Ragnar's head could have been shaved because they probably didn't have an electric razor. So how would they get a uniform sh- shaven so head? clean cut. Um, so the, the, these details are not too small for us. And now, like we yes, we care about our listeners, but mostly we care about our own entertainment. <laughs> so what did what do like what of those specifics really galled you? Um it wasn't like the hair so much. I guess it's just like the whole like grimdark aesthetic that's like super popular when you think about Vikings when really like they like dyeing their clothes bright colors. Like mm. it was dark there for a lot of the years or a lot of the year. Um st- stuff like that. Um and like the armor, like I don't know. I'm sorry. No, no, no. that's okay. So they dyed their clothes bright colors. That's yeah, not were, how I don't think of them as hippies, the Vikings, you know? Right. Okay. Uh, historic, that's a good one. Historical, historical plant dying is like a whole thing. But um, yeah, like they were fi- like, you kind of just used what you had back then. So like, I don't know. I'm, I'm not an expert on like the, the combat stuff either. Um, but like swords weren't a huge thing cause they were super expensive. I mean, we found plenty of them, but like the everyday person probably would have had something that used a little bit less, um, like material because swords were super expensive to make. Did you think that and, you were coming helmets. on this podcast to talk about the nitty gritty details of <laughs> the Viking culture? <laughs> I was not prepared. Like yeah. I could write you an essay on this, but like put on the spot. I'm like, sure. um, I just don't know. Well, I'm, I'm mad, but I don't know why. Well, Genevieve, I will make sure to text you a picture at the end of this conversation and free cookie listeners. I will share something on our Instagram, but for my birthday last year, Kate did manage to dig up, not actually with her bare hands, but she found a ninth century Viking ring that she gave what? me for my yeah. birthday, which is huge <gasps> and does not fit on any of my little tiny paws. Oh um, my gosh. So she had a, a chain made for it, that, and it's a very magical little entity. And, and, and so part of the reason why she got that for me, I, I love Norse mythology, I love mm-hmm. the Vikings, but the character of Hel or Hela, depending on how you want to see her, so that's mm-hmm. for listeners who don't know what we're talking about right now. That is one of the three children of Angraboda and Loki and Hel is exactly what she sounds like. She is the ruler of the underworld in Norse mythology. And she, um, I'm, I'm working on fiction myself and, and she's a very inspirational character that I want to pull into the series that I'm writing right now. And it's very <gasps> difficult to find information on her. So this is part of the reason why I love your book so much is that you oh, took... Uh, like truly characters that are are so obscure in many ways. I mean, maybe not Loki and especially if you watch Marvel and all that, you know, we've got like Odin and Thor and Loki everywhere, but you took these obscure characters like Angraboda and, and Fenrir gets a lot of screen time and, and so does the Midgar Mm -hmm. serpent, but, (laughs) but hell and Angraboda, these amazing female figures. I I just, I really want to know what the process was like for you to take characters that there's not much written about and flesh them out into these truly gorgeous characters in your novel. So it all kind of started like when I took a Norse mythology class in college um, that I, I wrote my term paper in that class about Angraboda and like her connections with a bunch of other, you know, mysterious female figures in the mythology. And mm-hmm. when I say connections, I mean, very tenuous connections, um, like as in like attributes or associations that they have in common. Um, so what I ended up doing was like connecting her to like all of these other women who like I mentioned in the witch's heart, like Herokin, like Hindla, like all these, these like creepy women that we don't necessarily know a lot about. And I was like, well, what if they were all one person? And then the problem became in the story is like, okay, so I just gave this one woman all of this power. Like what kind of person would she have to be to not use that power to change the outcome of everything? Totally. Totally. And, and Gulveg, am I saying that right? <laughs> Gulveg, yeah. Gulveg. And I, I mean, like, all of my pronunciations are, like, I mean, anglicized. So, like, there's no wrong way. I just I figure if I round my lips <laughs> enough, it'll make it seem real. Right. Um, 
that character, the, which is the, basically the witch that it seems like you merged with Angraboda, is that another kind of obscure character from Norse mythology, or is that something that we could all go down the rabbit hole on? No, that is uh, another obscure character who shows up like, I know, I know, I'm sorry. That's like the whole problem. Um, I mean, not a problem. Well, it's a good thing because it's a good thing because your book is out in the world. And so people are going to want to pick it up and understand the source. I mean, that's a good place to be. That's a lot of pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But no, she is from like one stanza, like one, one stanza in in one poem in the Poetic Edda. We know literally nothing else about her, um, but just by her name, meaning like gold lust, like she's been associated with Freya. Um, but I thought like, wouldn't it be cool if she wasn't Freya? And there's like a nod to that kind of at the beginning of the witch's heart where, you know, Scotty's like, yeah, like they're saying this, witch school vague, like taught say to Odin and they think she's Freya. And Angerbo was like, good, let them think that. Like, (laughs) like, Leave me alone. Because you're so immersed and fell in love with Norse mythology. Did, did you, did you ever start to see it? as a religion, not for yourself, but think of it as how people who lived at that time period would have seen it is like, these were real answers to real questions that they had about the world around them. Like these were the answers to pressing questions about why the sea exists, why the sky exists in the same way that we have modern religion and they're still answering or trying to answer our unknowns. So did you think, do you ever think of it as a religion and how do you think of it and, and how does it shape how you think of modern religions? Like I personally don't, um, just because of like my, my own hangups with religion and my, you know, trying to figure out my own spirituality. Um, but I know many, 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 many people, um, who do, who are Norse pagans or heathens and, um, like how that shapes their worldview. And I've gotten the chance to talk to many, many, many of these people because they are my friends. They are all over Viking reenactment. Um, so you get this like really unique perspective on like, like to me, like, you know, I feel a close connection with all, all of these characters, but like, there are people who do, you know, like are, are devoted to them like here and now. And it's just super interesting. Um, but as far as like back then, like in the Viking age, it's kind of hard to say only because what we know of the myths that's been written down, um, was written down like 200 years after the Viking age by the Christian ancestors of the pagans who actually did worship these gods. So, um, there's like an extra level of bias to unpack there when we try to say, Oh, well, this is what the Vikings believed. With the, the modern day practitioners, these Norse pagans that you're talking about, this is a curiosity that I've always had because mm-hmm. in, if you follow Norse mythology, you've probably heard the word Ragnarok or yes. if you Valhalla. like, if you like the Hemsworths, you probably have heard of Ragnarok. Um, but you know, Ragnarok is the, the dawn or excuse me, rather the, the collapse of the gods. And so for a modern day practitioner, did Ragnarok happen or for a modern day In practitioner? Your understanding, how are you fitting this into modern science? I, I'm just so curious because it's something that I've always wondered about with gods, with Greek mythology, with Norse mythology. Like, did they die off? And then did we like Neil Gaiman, American, American God style, like will them back into existence with worship? Or oh, I love that. Yeah, oh. yeah right. You know, oh, woof. this is what I think about woof indeed. <laughs> I mean, like, and, and honestly, like not to spoil the ending for any listeners but like i feel like the witch's heart absolutely goes that route mm-hmm. like like the ending 100 goes there like it's a like, very satisfying ending everybody so, very thank satisfying you so much thank you so much um <laughs> but as the question of like are we living in a pre or post ragnarok world i have no idea <laughs> i'm gonna be calling your friends and we're gonna be oh, interviewing them oh, journalism yes. style oh, please. <laughs> don't please think do. that we that let, would be so interesting don't think that we let the phrase uh, viking reenactment pass unnoticed <laughs> Um, I'm glad you brought that up, Kate. Yes. So quickly, can you quickly summarize what this, it sounds, seems self-evident, but I don't want Mm -hmm. to assume that you are actually reenacting either Viking parts of Viking life or Viking, you know, epic clashes and wars. But will you share with our listeners exactly what one is when one is a Viking reenactor? So yes, that is an excellent question because there is a semantic difference between uh, reenactment and living history. And a lot of people do make that distinction. And um, it's sometimes it's just easier to say I'm a Viking reenactor than I do Viking age living history. Like, because people are like, well, what is that? Well, 
So um, reenactment, like, um, kind of sounds like you're reenacting like an actual event, like Civil War reenactors or like World War II reenactors. Um, I guess it is more accurate to say that I do Viking Age living history because um, we are trying to like reconstruct like a way of life. We do like experimental archaeology and like cook with like um, recipes or cook with ingredients that they we have found evidence for in like graves and stuff. And we do crafts. And a lot of the people do combat. That's the big draw. Um, but it's less like, oh, I'm pretending to be, um, you know, this specific historical person and more like, what would I have been like if I had lived a thousand years ago? That's more what it is. And now, one, once when I was in middle school, my family went to One time at band camp. <laughs> um, not Williamsburg. Yeah, Williamstown, Williamsburg. where oh, so the, cool. Yeah, so you know what I mean. Not Williamstown where the theater is. No, no, it is Williamsburg. Okay. Yeah, it's where people are living as if it's the mm-hmm. 1800s still, and it's a town that exists with no technology past 18, I don't know, right? Let's say 1860, yes. I'm not sure. And yes. I got to tell you that there was a Six Flags across the street, and I would much <laughs> rather have been there. Um, so then you take it back another thousand years. I'm not sure. Yes. I, do I want to eat this recipe that you are making? <laughs> yes or no? Um, Stream or skip? Yeah. Yes, you do want to eat it. Ooh, it's- tell me about it. Tell me, pitch it to yes. me. Um, well, there's a lot of turnips because hmm. potatoes not, weren't a thing. Totally and, strong start. Not, not with <laughs> I know. Here. I, I personally have, have developed an affinity for turnips, uh, mm. but that's just me. You can really spice them up and with things they had then with like cheese. Yes. So like, um, okay. One of the people in my group makes like turnips out rotten, just like cheesy sliced turnips, oh. and it is delicious. Not necessarily something the Vikings would have come up with. But the Al Groton period, period accurate. <laughs> uh, put it at about 500 under the broiler. Can you see them with potatoes and they're like Viking axe? Like, I'm sorry, you need to it. get an eighth of an inch on those potatoes. <laughs> right. <laughs> this is Julian. So basically not, uh, not, not necessarily a recipe that they were making frequently. No. Okay. Is there one that you know that they made that you could share with us? Like a lot of stews. Okay. Like a lot of stews, a lot of fish. Yeah. Um, I mean, like they didn't pass down recipes. Like the only um, recipe book that I have is like people like reconstructed them. And it was like, here's a bunch of ingredients that were available in these regions. Here is how they would have um, put them together maybe and make it taste good. We hope. My, my gut reaction right now is that your follow-up to this is probably not a Viking cookbook. That's <laughs> my gut reaction. It, it feels like it would be limited at this point to like a half yes. recipe or so. I hate the disappointment. No, okay. <laughs> One hundred percent. And there's also there's also um, the leader of our group is also like a cook, like a chef, and he just comes up with things. And it's just like, oh, we have all these ingredients. Let's make this random thing. So like there's not really we don't really have any recipes. (laughs) Okay, we're going to get back to the book. But here's how I picture the Viking living history is basically you just standing around not having anything at all. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and not knowing how to, but, but this is, uh, this is a, a, hopefully a comedic setup for you to tell me that there were certain tools that would surprise me that they had. Cause mostly you'd be like, can I cut that? Mm, nope. I don't have a knife here. You have this hammer. Can you know? So anyway, can you share with me what it actually is like? They definitely had knives. Okay. I, I was going to say, I don't 100%. think they were lacking with tools. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but sometimes in comedy, you have to go really aggressively one way. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm, okay. So mm-hmm. fair, fair. Um, so can you, can you share a little bit about what, like what your setup would be around you while you're doing the living history? Um, so we'd have a cook fire. That's probably like the most important. Um, we have like a frame tents and some of them kind of lift up one end to like make it into a market stall. Um, we actually have been to like, there's a couple sites, um, across the country where there's actually like a reconstructed Viking hall Mm. and we like, will like drive 10 hours and hang out there. Uh, and it's amazing. Um, but a lot of the times, like I'll, I'll bring out cause I, I do weaving. So, um, I will like craft and like the, the combat people will do their fighting and then we'll all eat. There's a lot of lot of sitting around the campfire, a lot of lot of cooking, a lot of eating, drinking Can't out of yeah. horns and, and drinking. Whatnot. Yes. And yes. what's the alcohol? Is it like a kind of beer? Probably a mead, I would guess. Yeah, mead is like super popular, but um, back then it would have been more likely to be like ale, just because it takes a lot of honey to make mead, mm. like a lot of honey. So like, I'm pretty sure it was more <laughs> like a ceremonial kind of beverage than an everyday beverage. But that's yeah. just my my own guess. Well, I, much to Kate's chagrin, I'm going to take it away from the tools and Sorry, the food for a second. You. 
Um, I want to take it back to your book, and uh, I want to talk about the character of Scotty. And oh, my gosh. Uh-huh. So do you think it's fair to say that Scotty is the Norse somewhat equivalent to Artemis or Diana in Greek and Roman mythology-ish? Um, like, she has... She hunts on like, skis. She does, yes. <laughs> she does hunt on skis. Um, she, like, possibly, like, I don't, I don't necessarily like correlating, um, like, the gods with other gods um because there's just sure. there are some major differences but like they do they do definitely have that same associations with like the huntress um and i love artemis oh Me i love too. artemis um but i guess it's just because like i see them so much differently like when i picture them i picture oh, like artemis physically is so incredibly yes, different yes 100 um but yeah like i i mean they're both huntresses <laughs> I just, the, the character of Scotty and Angraboda, and I hope I'm not giving anything away here, but there's, <laughs> is, is it okay if I continue? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, no. The, the, there's, there's some tension there. We'll, we'll yeah. just say mm-hmm. that. There's some really yeah. beautiful tension there. And cool. I, I do want to bring it back to how you fleshed out these characters. And, you know, when you first started, what, you know, what was the impetus of this in book? Like, what was the spark? Was it a certain character a certain god did you like wake up and thor hit you with lightning and you're like i'm gonna write a book like what what started all of this um i at the time i was i was in the, the class uh learning and getting more interested in this character manga Boda, but i really really liked loki mm. i just thought loki was just fantastic he is fantastic just and so i was like hmm loki book from the point of view of one of his wives Hmm. And then it, Angerboda just like took over the book. Like yeah. it was, it was, I mean, it never started off being about Loki. It, it was always her story, but like as to how their relationship progressed, um, I did not see that coming while I was writing it. Um, I am a total pantser, like, which means I never have an outline. I just like go. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was a surprise. Will you explain that phrase to me? Oh, sorry. So, um, I guess um, a lot of writers online use the terms like um, pantsing versus plotting. Like oh. um, when you're a pantser, you fly by the seat of your pants. You have no oh. idea what's going to happen. Or maybe you, you plot a little bit. Um, and plotters like, you know, have a 30 page outline that they are following while they write. And so, good for them, but I cannot do that. <laughs> what, what do you think it is about plotting or having a, an outline that you, that you rebel against? Like what does it fill you with? Um, I... I kind of prefer, like, I love letting the characters tell the story. Like, I just, like, I'm, I am I feel like I'm just along for the ride sometimes. You know, like, I, once I really get to know a character, um, and it's pretty easy with Norse mythology because the plot's kind of already there. Like, and not, not easy. I should say the bones of the plot are already there. Like, you kind of know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But um, as far as getting there, that was, that was the surprise. What did, what did you learn about yourself as a writer during the process of this book? Oh my gosh. Um, this was the first book that, cause I've written a couple, um, but this is my first ever published novel. And this was a novel that taught me that I could write a book, mm-hmm. like, like a standalone book because I had been working on like a series and like another series. And I was like, Oh, I'm never just gonna be able to write a book. And this book taught me that I could write a book. So we're not going to have a follow up to the witch's heart. So is it's what not you're saying sequel. to us. <laughs> I'm you're committed to being standalone. I cannot say <laughs> at this time. <laughs> Interesting. And what, so what are, what is your like routine? Like, not that it has to be the same every day, but generally speaking, how is writing incorporated into your life? Um, it's like, it's hard these days. I feel like, um, I do have a day job, but when I wrote the witch's heart 10 years ago, I was in college and I was writing it at like three in the morning when I should be doing homework. I wrote it in like the first draft in like three weeks. So like, what? I was a monster. Yeah, I'm so sorry. That's not a good answer. <laughs> Wait, but that was ten years ago. So what happened? Yeah. I was going to say the lot has lot has passed. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had been, I was keeping the witch's heart pretty close to my chest. Um, it more than anything I've ever written. I feel like it was like a huge part of me. I was so so scared to let anybody see it and like mm. you know put it out there to kind of be judged, um, or rejected. And I. I, so I, I tried to get all of my other books published before that. And that, that was my last one. And so in 2018, um, actually after Cersei came out, 
I, cause mm-hmm. I was like, you know, this is, I was like, this book is so close to my heart. I feel like nobody's going to care about it. It's just like some, some reclusive witch just sitting there all day. And then, uh, <laughs> Cersei came out and I was like, well, maybe there's a market for reclusive witches. <laughs> like, um, so yeah, that was, it took me like, you know, seven years to even get it out there, but that's why it took so long. So you had other books that you had finished and tried to sell, but couldn't sell. Right. And then did you, what was the submission process yeah. like for the witch's heart? So, um, t- I always knew that traditional publishing was the way that I wanted to go. Um, self-publishing, um, I have so much respect for anybody who chooses to go mm-hmm. self-publishing because like it is ugh, my friends who do it have to like hustle and they are just amazing. Um, but for me, I always like, I always knew that I wanted to do traditional publishing and the first step in that process is to find an agent. Um, and that's the part that took me five years to even like get your foot in the door is to, mm-hmm. is to get an agent. Um, and then once you revise the book with your agent, um, your agent puts it out on submission to editors who are associated with publishing houses. Um, so that took another couple months and then surprise book. (laughs) (laughs) What, what was it about traditional publishing that you were so committed to being your path? Um, I've always had pretty severe imposter syndrome. Sorry, not to get like vulnerable on Maine. But I've always been. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I always, let's get, let's do this. Let's go there. Um, I've always been like really, really shy. So like traditional publishing is like I have like I have a support network almost like my agent, my editor, like um, the publicity and marketing folks like who are amazing, like all these people who are telling me like you can do it, you can do it like you've got this like just to get me to the point before like readers even actually have the book in their hands. Like to be like, this works, this doesn't, um, because I've always been such, I felt like such an imposter. Like, Mm -hmm. is, is my book good? Like, I don't know. I don't feel like I could just put it out there without getting feedback from a bunch of people first. Like, does that make sense? Is that weird? Yeah. Because I think a lot, uh, a lot of people who want to be published at like some of the big five or just like a really strong independent house, it's like they, they want that stamp of approval that they have made it through at least that f- over that first hurdle so that they're not trying to self-publish a book when really all the feedback is coming from family and friends and like everyone, you know, everyone's going to tell Absolutely. you it's great. And then you've got this false sense, but underneath it all, you're like ridiculously insecure about it. That just seems like a tough place to be for a lot of writers. This is virtually mm-hmm. the conversation we had as yes. I was cooking dinner last night talking about my <laughs> really? own book. So yeah, we get you. Yeah. <laughs> like 100%. And actually like one of, one of my fellow debut authors just like tweeted something about, you know, like the imposter syndrome, like hasn't gotten any better after the book deal. I'm like, correct. Like it, it has actually gotten worse. So it's like, it never ends. And you just kind of have to find the people who are going to continue to support you and tell you, you know, when things are just okay. And when you should push back on other things. And just like, I am just so grateful to have that, like beyond words, grateful. Absolutely. That is so huge. And so for the people who are going to read or have read The Witch's Heart, if you were to compile a list of um, other Norse-related reads, for example, I always like to bring it back to Neil Gaiman because <laughs> Neil Gaiman. Like, what do you think about Norse mythology? Is that something that people should should have? Or, you know, there's the famous, the, the Tales of Norse mythology, really beautiful book that's kind of one of those, like, you know, embossed readers. Yeah. So I, I mean, that's where I get, I'm like, who's the translator? Like, cause my friend showed right. me that book. I was like, but who translated it? Be- just because I, like, I've studied old Norse in the classroom and I know like that translations, um, I don't know if you've read, um, like the, the new Beowulf translation. Um, oh, I have it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, like that's an example of how like nuanced some translations can be. Um, and a lot of the tra- translations that have come down to us have been by, by like a certain group of people. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when you get a different perspective on like how to translate things, um, it could be really like groundbreaking. So, um, I, I, I do like Neil Gaiman's version though, but I'm, I was a sucker for American gods. Like I, just one of the best books in the world. Yeah. Many, many times the whole, like, 
his whole thing where he does like Loki and Odin as a two man con. I was like, yes, yes. Cause that's exactly how it is. Um, I just loved that part. So I love American gods. Haven't seen the show. Um, but I do like Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology. Um, Kevin Crossley Holland's Norse mythology is probably my favorite retelling though. Um, and I think Pantheon books publishes that ironically. Um, huh. But um, I really, really like that one. And then, like, there's the prose edda and the poetic edda if you really wanted to, to like, dig into, like, what the myths are in, like, kind of their original form um, from, you know, the 1200s when they were first written down. Do you think that's more of a scholarly endeavor or could that be someone who wants to casually expand their, their knowledge? Uh, so that's a great question. Um, like some of translations are kind of like more readable than others. I know um, Dr. Jackson Crawford, who is um, like pr- pretty prominent old Norse guy, uh, professor, I should say. He's a professor. Um, he does YouTube. <laughs> old Norse does- guy. <laughs> that's his online handle, his Twitter handle. <laughs> he, right. Um, he does uh, like video series on YouTube's on youtube oh my god youtubes um he does video series on youtube about old norse and norse mythology and all kinds of stuff and dr crawford just released like i think last year the year before a translation of the poetic edda um so like it's out there and i think that like people can pick it up you don't necessarily have to be like a scholar to pick it up um but it's it's really interesting to look at the retellings versus the actual like source material and be like, okay, where did the the storyteller get this part? And I did that a lot in the witch's heart. I mean, like for my like research, I even went back and looked at some of the like original manuscripts. So yeah. On the internet, of course, because I don't live in Iceland, but I wish, but (laughs) Um, I thought I read that you did either a semester or a year in Sweden. Yes. So the place that Catherine and I want to go once the world opens up again tops on our list is, well, for me, it's Copenhagen, but only Mm -hmm. because they have great restaurants there. But is there a location or... Sure, they're going to serve a lot of parsnips. I hope that it's turnips. Turnips. Turnips with cheese. Related. I'm sorry. Sorry, did I I interrupt you right there? I'm just so deep in my... (laughs) Copenhagen restaurant scene right now in my head. No, I was just going to say I have negative feelings about parsnips, but go on. Oh. <laughs> no, what's up with you and parsnips? Like, fuck up? No, they're just, they're no turnips. That's all I'm saying. Ah, are they turnip wannabes or are they totally yes. different? Okay. That I don't is my even... opinion. <laughs> um, is there like a really amazing Viking Norse locale in Scandinavia? Like, what would you recommend as a... Could you be our travel agent, please? Yeah, like as a Norse... Uh, obs- obsessionist as Catherine is like where is the number one destination in Scandinavia to like scratch that itch oh my god there are so many no um, no I need your top one <laughs> okay okay oh my gosh ah. or, or just like, it three even, is fine it doesn't even need to be that like you could get off and be like damn there's that's actually number two but if it's like up there that's what we want to know okay um there's the Oslo Ships Museum in Norway which I've always wanted to go to um because I it just is amazing, and I, I love Viking That's ships. where that massive, famous um, one is inside. Yeah, the, right? the, the one that you always see. Ship burial. Yes, 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 yes. Where it was, like, two high-status women. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. I love that they were women who were buried there. I have a lot of thoughts on Viking women. Um, <laughs> Lagatha. Yes. La- yes. Lagatha forever. Yes. <laughs> okay, so that's um, the number one. Is there is another one popping into mind in case we can, like, take a little train over to... Um, Denmark uh, or I don't know else. of any in, <laughs> I don't know of any in Denmark I mostly because uh, I you know like my grandpa was from Sweden I've been okay. to Sweden a couple times and uh, so Birka Sweden um, you'd have to take a boat to get to the island but they have a brand new exhibit there and the reenactors are there over the summer and I'm obsessed and I can't wait to go back I got to visit a couple years ago um, now are these reenactors but, or living history Sorry, living history. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just want to clarify because I know the distinction now. So, <laughs> uh, okay, that's a good one because I think, well, both of them, but specifically the Oslo one because we could probably find some good restaurants in Oslo too. With some, oh, for sure. With some um, turnips. Go see some longboats and get oh a cocktail gosh. in oh, all yeah. at the same day. <laughs> well, I would, yes. D- 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 you would be excited for this if this happened? You want to do this, right? Go to Oslo and see the ship museum? You, Genevieve, yeah, yes. you want that, yes. right? Okay. Sorry, yes. 
Um, all right. So we, our final question is the trickiest, which. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wait, it's I'm going to warm you up with a pre-final question. Okay. All right. Okay. So bringing it back once again to the book. Thank you, <laughs> okay. Catherine. You're welcome. I'm here for this. To bring it back to the book. So the three children of Loki and Angrabora for listeners. We've got Fenrir, which is like the biggest wolf in the world, basically, is what you Bigger need to know. Bigger than Hugh Jackman. Bigger than Hugh Jackman. Thank you for that. Hell, who is the, the, the female ruler of the Norse underworld. And then... Your Mungandur, I guess there's different ways of saying it, the Midgard serpent who lies at the bottom of the ocean and his body is so big it encircles the entire world. Who we've not proven doesn't exist. Which could totally yeah. be in the ocean considering we only know about 3% of it. So, yeah. first of all, for anyone who's having a rough time with their kids, like, feel better that you didn't pump out these, these little trio, right? <laughs> um, but for you, Genevieve, like... If you just had to have one of those babies for the rest of your life, which door would you choose? Fenrir, Jormungandr, or Hell? Oh, Hell, 100%. Yes! She's my baby. Yeah. She's my baby. Um, I'm a girl. I, yeah, it's so weird to, like, call, you know, the ruler of the underworld your baby. But um, I, I know that you mentioned Hell, like, earlier in, in, in our conversation. Um, and I just want to make you aware, if you're not already aware of the book The Monster's Child no. by Francesca Simon. Um, I started reading it. I'm not done with it. But it is basically Hell's, like, story. And um, it's a young adult book. But, like, Hell is just, like, a bratty teenager. And it's from her point of view. And she's <laughs> like, you think mom would have stopped after one? Like, <laughs> okay. no. Like, and it's just... <laughs> So adorable young adult interpretation. Awesome. Yeah, it's very, like, snarky teenager. And, like, um, you know, like, our our versions of Angerboda are not in line, like, at all. Sure. Um, But at the same time, like, there's a million ways to write this character because we have no idea anything about her except, like, two little mentions. So there's a million ways the story could have been written. And, like, you know, none of them are wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. Totally. And well, that's a perfect segue to this question to which there is a wrong answer. Oh, oh um, good. Oh, good. What is your favorite cookie? And now, <gasps> this, if you want you to want- get, if you want to get crazy and name some like random cookie you once had after, that's cool. But for now, stick to like the standards, right? Like the oatmeal raisins, the chocolate chips, the peanut butters. Like, I'm going to apologize for my controlling wife. Why don't you just go ahead and tell us what cookie you <laughs> like, first Genevieve? From the standard list, and then you can get a little crazy if you love a double dipped Oreo peanut butter something you once had at the one place. But first, the standard. I, I love Snickerdoodles. Like, oh, that's yeah. a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. So you think you like Snickerdoodles better than, like, oatmeal raisin and, and like, or, like, an oatmeal chocolate chip? Like, Snickerdoodle. Yeah, Snickerdoodle. Okay, cool. I just got to play my part. Okay, and is there some <laughs> fancy cookie that you once had that was so good, or is it... Is, uh, Snickerdoodle's a fantastic answer, by the way. So if you're going to stick with that, that's cool, too. Um, my mom would make these Christmas cookies that she found in a magazine one time, and they were just, like gingerbread but with like a Reese cup inside and the gingerbread was like soft and I was like oh this is very good and the same thing with like a peppermint patty cookie but the outside was like a chocolate cookie and they were just really soft and squishy and delicious Mm -hmm. um so that's what comes to mind when I think of like fancy cookie but other than those special once a year cookies I gotta say snickerdoodle Snickerdoodle. still okay man and here I was hoping that you were gonna say there was like some Swedish cookie made with turnips and (laughs) honey (laughs) oh my god a turnip honey honey that they didn't put into the mead goes into the turnip cookie. Oh, because I can't oh waste God. anything. <laughs> Don't stop giving me ideas for my Viking cookbook. <laughs> the follow-up uh. to the smash hit, The Witch's Heart. Oh my God. The Witch's Heart. Oh my hurt. gosh. Well, <laughs> wow. I, I, that, that end scene. Mic drop. <laughs> oh God. No, honestly, I think this could work. Let's call your agent. The Witch's Hearth is coming up in like, you're going to have to recipe test. So two years you need, you think? Yeah, you know, that sounds about right. Okay. Because yep. you got to go from half that. a recipe to 40. So that's right, a long right. time. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I got this. No worries. I won't let you down. Uh, well, congratulations, Genevieve. The book is amazing. And thank you for taking the time yeah, to talk for with us. With us. Thank you. It has been an honor and uh, a pleasure. Awesome. All right. Bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you. You too. That is a wrap. <laughs> Thank-
thank you for listening to season four of Free Cookies. Or the, six, however you want to, you know, the really up to you. first show back for season four. This podcast is produced Jeez. by Lindsay Collins of FMB Radio. You should check out her new picks for her podcast, right? You got, don't you have some great new art as well for FMB Radio? She does. Yeah. But also check out her Patreon for FMB Radio because she regularly puts out delicious recipes. You can support the show by rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts. In fact, since we were last on during season three of Free Cookies, we've gotten three new reviews from listeners. Okay, so Jordan Akjunal said, really great listen. No matter what's going on in the world, there's always something thought-provoking. The podcast is always worth listening to, whether I'm familiar with the guest topic or not. Oh, thanks, Jordan. Samantha Natha 89 said- Samantha Nantha? Yeah, that's probably more what it was. Samantha, no, 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 no. Samantha Nana Nana? Samantha Samantha likes bananas. Samantha Natha. Samantha. Okay. She said one of my fave podcasts and then a lot of other amazing things. This wife and wife duo, which I like. That's awesome. Yeah. And then the last one, actually from this past Sunday, from only mildly satisfied 3000, because there were a lot of other only mildly satisfieds before (laughs) this particular one. Only mildly satisfied about themselves or about the podcast? Well, it's a five-star review. Oh. So it's that's their own inner demons that are coming out, only mildly satisfied. Mm. Oh, I always feel better having listened is the opening line to oh, that. So we're helping them feel satisfied, not maybe just mildly so. Oh, and then uh, in, there's a lot of positive, And then at the end it says, also, I can feel the pain in Kate's heart every time there's yet another vote for chocolate chip as the favorite cookie at the end of the episode. She's so, fine. She's getting 60% of the rations. Come on. Oh, Wow. <laughs> Okay, but it's good to know that even though I always get upset at the chocolate chip, it still remains fresh content every time it happens. Every single time, even though I'm upset at the same thing, people can feel my pain anew. And that, is that a tiny violin that you're playing? I am playing a tiny, tiny violin. Yeah. Well, everybody knows, every free cookie listener knows that the chunks of raisins appear at the end of the show. And Chunks that's, indeed, like that's <laughs> pieces of hail from the sky. Oh my God. Did you actually see the Twitter fight between, um, yeah. what is, uh, the, the, the famous raisin company in the box? They, they have the, the, the what is it? California raisins. Yeah. California raisins. It was like, that's right. I don't know. It was like national burn day or something the other day. Like every, you know, it was like national, you know, like burn, like, yeah. yeah. And, um, Wendy's at messaged California raisins and was like, that is a start of a story. Yeah. (laughs) And they, they just basically were like, stop ruining cookies. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so it has been confirmed so by Wendy's. There will be no Raisinette Frosty anytime soon. <laughs> no, there is the menu. no collab coming between California Raisins and Wendy's. Okay, guys. <laughs> and like I said, this is where the best content lives in the final three minutes of the show. That's right. All right. We'll see you soon.